Okay. So we're beginning now Friday's portion of Tazri Messiah. This is Parshas Messiah, chapter 14. We're up to verse 33. God spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, in this section today, over this portion of Parshas Tazri and Parshas Messiah, we're looking at the saras, the skin affliction, spiritual skin affliction. We spoke about it on people. We're also going to discuss it on houses, which is what we're discussing today. It also comes on garments. We're looking here at this affliction afflicting houses. When you arrive in the land of Canaan that I give you as a possession, and I'll place Saras affliction upon a house in the land of your possession. Sarashi says that this idea, I'll place the Saras affliction, is actually good news to them. Why is this good news? Because the non-Jews believed. They knew the Jews were coming. They knew the Jews were going to fight them. They, they understood on some level the Jews would win. So what they did for these 40 years when the Jews were in the desert is that all their treasures of gold, etc., they hid in the walls of their houses. Like, if we're going to die, we definitely don't want the Jews to get it. So what God did sometimes is he put this Saras affliction on the house because as we're going to see, ultimately, if this affliction stays on the house, you have to break down the walls of the house. And when they broke down the walls of the house, they would find this treasure. So this is based on the wording here because it says that the definitive statement, I will place a Saras affliction on the house instead of as the form it used when it's talking about people or garments, it says, if there'll be a Saras affliction, like it's perhaps. But here in the houses, it's definitive. It's going to happen. So why do we know it's going to happen? Maybe the Jews will be amazing people and they won't need this as a punishment. No, because it's not a punishment. It's, it's a way of God helping them access these treasures. Sometimes things look bad, but they're really, really good. And this is such an example. The one to whom the house belongs shall come and declare to the priest, saying, something like an affliction has appeared to me in my house. So Rashi says that this is to tell us that even a Torah scholar, he knows what the affliction looks like. He's certain it's an affliction, but he's not supposed to say it. He's not supposed to pass judgment on it. He's not supposed to say there's an affliction in my house. He should say something like an affliction appeared to me. First of all, this is to, to train yourself, to admit the limitations of knowledge, even in a situation where you think you're certain. Also, technically, it's not an affliction until the priest declares it to be an affliction. So to call it an affliction before it's an affliction is like saying a lie on a certain level. In other words, until the priest declares it impure, it's not impure yet, so don't say it is. Also, you're supposed to try not to speak about negative things. So even here, where it's like, so to speak, unavoidable, speak about them like as indirectly as possible. To speak about something negative helps cause it to happen. So why should we create bad fortune for ourselves? So the priest shall command, and they shall clear the house when the priest has not yet come to look at the affliction, so that everything in the house should not become impure, and afterwards shall the priest come to look at the house. So Rashi explains that until the priest comes and renders his decision, the law of impurity does not take effect. Meaning, you see in your house these streaks that imply it's Saras. Even though those streaks truly are Saras, 
even if the priest will come and say, yes, this house definitely has Sarat, the impact of Sarat, that it creates impurity in all the items in the house, does not happen until the priest makes that judgment. And therefore, we're giving the person time to remove his items from the house so they don't have the status of impure. So the next Rashi says, what are we worried about here? It's not like nowadays. Nowadays, you say, oh my gosh, there's so many things I'd be worried about. What, what do they have of those in anyway? If you're talking about implements that can be immersed in a mikvah to become pure, items of wood, items of metal, what's the big deal? They became impure, put them in the mikvah, they'll be pure. If you're talking about food and drink, what's the big deal? You have at least a week, if not more, that there's going to be this impurity. You can eat it up. It's not like nowadays. You'd be like, oh, my gosh, you know, there goes my 30 chickens. I mean, they didn't have that in their freezer. It was about the food they had in their house. Like, what's the big deal if it became impure? You can eat it. So what's left? What, what would become impure and you can't utilize it up or rectify the situation? The only thing left, Rashi says, is something from earthenware. Because, of course, we know earthenware, china, pottery, those things cannot be purified. And those things are relatively cheap. They were inexpensive. That wasn't where the big wealth went into. And still, the Torah has compassion on people and on their finances. And maybe, especially, in in a situation here, we could say, "Wow, the Torah is trying to to say, you know, we we you know we understand you're going through a hard time." Here you have the Saras affliction. Obviously, there's a lot of stress. So we don't want to say, eh, earthenware, it's cheap. You know, this isn't, you know, fine Chinese pottery. This is earthenware. This isn't China. No. The terror says we have compassion on the China, on the earthenware. We don't want it to become destroyed. Which is a very interesting point Rashi's making because Rashi's saying it's not so valuable. But still... The tire is creating a situation that you can save it and not have to trash it. We can learn from here that we should be careful with items, that we shouldn't be wasteful unnecessarily. Now, I, don't, I don't mean to be excruciatingly cheap in, in a way, or frugal in a way that like, is painful, but we should be careful with things. We should respect items. We should understand they have a value because here the Tyra, this is the point Rashi is trying to make, the Tyra is creating a whole situation that the priest should only come after you have time to empty out the house to save what, Rashi is saying? Save this earthenware? Like, who cares about earthenware? The Tyra does. The Tyra cares about it. So we can learn from here the obvious moral lesson is that we should be careful with items. We shouldn't say, oh, you know, paper plates are so cheap, so what if they, we just... Toilet paper, so what if it's just garbage then, you know, the kids use it in their games or, you know. No, we should be careful with items. The tire is. Next verse. He shall look at the affliction, he here means a priest, and behold, the affliction is in the walls of the house, depressed, deep greens or deep reds, and their appearance is lower than the wall. So now we are given a description on what this Sarah skin affliction looks like when it's in a house. Obviously, 
had many verses describing skin affliction on skin. And we know various descriptions of what it could look like. But what does it look like on a house? So it's these deep green or deep red streaks that are formed in like a, a sunken way. They seem like sunken in their appearance in the walls of the house. Now, that's how Rashi explains it. Some people take this word, Rashi is looking at as like, I'm translating here as depressed, meaning like sunken into the wall, and actually they say it's another color. This is there's deep green and deep red. There's another color, which is this word. But Rashi looks at it as expressing that the colors are like sunken into the walls in their appearance. What happens next? The priest shall exit from the house to the entrance of the house, and he shall close off the house for a seven-day period. The priest shall return on the seventh day. He shall look and behold, the affliction has spread in the walls of the house. The priest shall command and they shall remove the stones that contain the affliction and they shall cast them outside the city wall into an impure place. So here we have the procedure of what has to happen. So let's review it because there's a lot of detail here. Okay, so the person looks at the walls of his house and he's like, "Uh uh-oh, I might have Saras on the walls of my house. I see these streaks of red. I see these streaks of green. They sort of seem like sunken into the walls. Where are they coming from? Uh-oh. Let me get the priest to determine. Goes to the priest. The priest gives him time to empty out his house of things that would have to be trashed if truly became impure. And then the priest comes. Now, in this situation, the priest looks, and he says, hmm, it, it, it definitely might be. We, we've got to determine it. So seven-day period where the house is quarantined. I'm going to check it in seven days. He comes back on this. Now, again, the house is now in sort of a limbo status. It hasn't been determined to have Saras, but it definitely might. On the seventh day, he comes back. Now, the Torah here is giving you one scenario. Obviously, there are many. In this first scenario given, the Saras affliction spread to the other walls of the house, meaning it spread beyond its boundary what it looked like a week ago. Oh, so this is a big problem. Because then we know Saras. It's this spreading Saras on the walls. Now, are we done? No. Because even though we see there's Saras here, we still say, wait, let's give the house another chance. So let's remove all the stones contain walls. Let's, let's remove it all. We're going to remove the stones that contain the affliction. We're going to also scrape away the wood, scrape away the plaster. We're going to do everything around these stones. We're going to take the stones and throw them into the impure city, meaning outside the city in this place for 
items that are impure, like its own graveyard. And we're going to see what happens now that we, okay, so we first saw it, and then we waited seven days, and then we see it spread. But we're not done yet. We first, we're giving it another opportunity. We're removing everything we see that has this sarat. We're throwing all these stones in this, like, pit. Imagine in our vision a garbage pit, but this is a impurity pit. And now we're going to see what happens to the house now that all those parts that have the tarat were thrown away. So the house at this moment doesn't have any stones left that have any of these green or red remnants. But it did spread before. Now we took away all the stones and we cleaned it and we plastered it. Now let's see what happens. Rashi explains here that the removing of the stones, I mean, I'm, I'm translating the words of the chutzu is like the idea of chalitza, which is removal. And Rashi says that they take all of these stones and the plaster from this house where the tzaras is, and they put it in a place where we keep things, where things that are pure cannot be. Because these stones are going to make wherever they are impure. So we don't want to have these stones come in contact with anything of purity. And we're not talking here about the ground, because obviously the ground doesn't become impure, but we mean other items. So in a covered, enclosed space above them, these stones would transmit impurity to people there or to the vessels there. But once the source of impurity is removed, there's no more impurity in the previous location. So that's why we want all these stones in this location, which is where impure things are. So you're not going to mess, again, for us, since we don't keep these laws on a, a now, it's a little hard for us to relate to them, but there are things that have, can only be eaten impurity, and if anything impure comes in contact with them, it messes up their purity. And we don't want their purity messed up. Like, for example, if somebody had in their house any meat of the offering or any teruma, you're not allowed to make those things impure. So therefore, we want to take these stones, which have this impurity, and we want to get them out of the way and put them in a place where they're not going to mess up anything that's pure. That's the idea. And the house will be scraped from within, all around. The mortar that they have scraped at the edges, they are to pour outside the city onto an impure place. So we said before, we just said in the previous verse, that we want to remove the stones that are impure. We not only want to remove the stones, but we're scraping all the mortar that, again, because that now has, that came in contact with these stones that are impure, which means that mortar also has this impurity, so we want to get rid of it. Rashi translates the word to mean scraped, and we're, it's, we're scraping it on the inside, and we're scraping it all around the affliction. We're peeling away the plaster that's on the stones that had these greenish or reddish streaks. They shall take other stones and bring them in place of the stones. They shall take other mortar and plaster the house. So in other words, we took out any any 
stone that had these greenish or reddish streaks we took out. And not only that, we even scraped off any mortar that was attached to these stones. So now we have a house with a bunch of holes. So we take new stones and new mortar to close up the walls of this house. 